be transformed. It means to be changed. It means to be different than what you once were. I remember as a kid getting up on Saturday mornings, and my favorite cartoon was Transformers. You know, I even remember the song, Transformers, Robots in Disguise. You know, I'd walk through school singing that song in elementary school, Transformers. You know, it was wonderful, and I loved it. And, uh, and I have to say, the, the movies that came out definitely did not do justice to what the cartoons once were. I mean, it was, it was great on Saturday mornings watching, watching the Transformers. But as I got older and I learned more about the gospel, and I learned about Jesus Christ, I learned that the gospel brings transformation. It changes us to where we're different. We're not the same that we used to be. Let me tell you a story. When I was in my early 20s, I was a member over at Miles Road Baptist Church in Somerville. Most of y'all know that. Well, the pastor over there, Jim Palmer, had brought a special guest speaker in. His name was Zeb Osborne. Okay, Zeb Osborne was at one time considered to be the meanest man in the South Carolina penal system. Okay, he was, uh, he was just, just oh, well, just, just horrible. Um, in fact, many of y'all have heard the name Pee Wee Gaskins. Most people who are from South Carolina know who Pee Wee Gaskins was. I mean, this man was a serial killer in South Carolina. Well, they said Pee Wee Gaskins only feared one man in, 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 the, in, uh, in, in the prison, and that was Zeb Osborne. Zeb Osborne, uh, if I remember correctly, he was kind of like a mafia hitman. He had killed many people. In fact, one day while he was in prison, it was said that a, a guy came by his, his jail cell, and just because Zeb was so mean and so cruel, he just he said to the guy, hey, come here, I need to tell you something. The guy says, yeah, what? Well, he grabs him and pulls him to his cell and just bites his nose off. I mean, this guy was just, just hateful, the worst kind of hateful you could ever imagine. Well, Zeb Osborne one day was coming back to his cell, and when he got into his cell, somebody had left one of those little chick tracks. Y'all have probably seen those before, the little gospel tracks, a little cartoon thing. Well, as Zeb began to read this little chick track, the Holy Spirit came on him, revealed his darkness and his sin, and right there on his bedside, Zeb Osborne received the gift of eternal salvation as it was offered to him. Zeb Osborne after that, became so hungry to know more about God that he began to study the Bible. Well, then he realized that, you know what, he could do a Bible study. Now, the funny thing about Zeb Osborne in the Bible study that he was starting in the prison there in Columbia, um, he still had a little bit of his old lifestyle there. He hadn't fully gotten over the flesh. And so when nobody would come to his Bible study, when he would go out and see people, he threatened to beat them up if they didn't come to his Bible study. I said, you know what, could you imagine the church people doing that, going and knocking on doors and saying, I'm going to beat you up if you don't come to my Bible study tonight. So you're liable to get shot in this day. But, <laughs> but anyway, uh, luckily uh, some, some folks in prison ministry and other Christians that he got in contact with that were mature in their faith within the prison began to pour into Zeb Osborne. And the meanest man that was in the South Carolina prison system became one of the most gentle, compassionate, and loving men because God had transformed him. But that's not where the story ends. The warden of the prison was so amazed at the change in Zeb Osborne that he, he told the governor, he, had, he, got a, he got an audience with the governor, and said, you've got to meet this guy. This guy is amazing what God has done in his life. And he even gave him the, the he said, here's his rap sheet. I mean, of course, he was on death row. 
because he had murdered people. You know, he was just waiting execution day. Well, the warden came by, I mean, excuse me, the governor came by, and they set up a meeting, and, and Zeb came in there and, and <laughs> hugged the governor's neck, which I tell you, I'd have been a little bit nervous if Zeb Osborne hugging me. I'll just tell you that much. Um, and he began to sit down, and he began to talk to this governor. And the governor, after the meeting, looked at the game, I'm a game warden, let's mean, looked at the warden and said, there's no way this is the same guy that's in this thing. He said, I'm telling you, that's him. That's the change in his life. It's amazing. And do you know that Zeb Osborne went down in history because he was the first man ever in the state of South Carolina to be paroled off a death row? The governor gave him a parole. He even, at one time, he was running a thrift store in Columbia, but he was going around sharing his testimony and preaching the gospel. You know, there's a story in the Bible about a man that was a murderer too that God transformed. His name was the Apostle Paul. On the road to Damascus, going to arrest and kill Christians, Paul had an encounter with Jesus Christ, and his life was never the same. The question this morning is going to be to you, church, is simply this. Were you transformed when Jesus Christ came into your life? You see, we're going to look at this this morning because Jesus speaks in Matthew chapter 7 about this very thing. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. Billy Graham said this, and I, and I really believe it. He said the biggest and greatest evangelistic field today is in the church. Because there are a lot of people who grew up in church, who walked an aisle, said a prayer, got baptized, but they don't know Jesus Christ personally. They know about Him. They can give you all the facts in the world, but they don't have an intimate relationship with the God who saved them. They don't speak to him on a daily basis in intimacy and love. They don't, they don't know his voice when he speaks. They just know about him. And believe me, there's a difference, a huge difference. And we're going to look at that this morning. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me. Again, well, you're probably already there. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read verses 13 through verse 27. So if you have God's Word, please stand with me and as we read it this morning. If you don't, it'll be up here on the screens. And of course... Matthew, the apostle, writing to, to the folks of that day, writing to us today under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said these things. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, if by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. That's important there. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken to him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was grounded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. 
And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the reading of your word. Now, Lord, as we go into this message, Lord, I pray that, God, you would just anoint the words that come out of my mouth. Lord, I'm just a messenger. This is not my message. It's from your word. It's from, from you, Lord. And I just pray that, God, I will handle it accurately. And God, if there be one here today, Lord, that's trusting in religion or trusting in anything other than Jesus, Lord, by the end of this message, Lord, they'll come to know you in a real and personal relationship. And God, we just again thank you for today. Thank you for allowing us to come into your house. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The first thing I'm going to look at this morning is God tells us there are two different ways we can go. There's two different paths that we can take. So if you're taking notes, and I always tell people it's always good to take notes because the, the shortest pencil is better than the longest memory. Okay? So the first thing we're looking at is the two different ways. And here, in, in these two different ways, we see pretty much the cost of salvation. You know, we hear that salvation is a free gift. Well, it is. It is a free gift. It's, it's the grace of God that, that gives it to us. But it costs you your life. It's a 100% cost to it because it's a total submission to the Lord Jesus Christ to take control of your life. It's been wisely said that a faith that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. A faith that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. So let's look at the first, the first way. He says, he says it right there, Enter by the narrow gate for what? Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. You see, the broad way is the easy way. It's the easy way. How many of us like to do it the easy way? We've all heard it, work smarter, not harder, right? I mean, we want to do it the easy way, okay? I won't say which of my sons did this because I'm going to be nice to them, but some of my sons, the easy way was go clean your room up, was take everything that's on the floor and pile it in the, in, in the closet. I remember we walked in one day, opened up the closet, and the pile was up to my waist. And I went and I opened up their dresser drawers, and they were completely empty. And I'm like, what are they wearing? Have they been wearing the same clothes? Have they just been digging out of this pile? You see, that's the easy way. Because it didn't cost them anything. It didn't take no time to, 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 to scrub it down or, or, or go wash their clothes. And then after their clothes are washed and dried, to fold them up and put them in the correct place. No, let's do it the easy way. The easy way is the better way. Well, a lot of people find that way in life. You see, because the broad way, it doesn't cost anything. That's why it's the popular way. You see, in the broad way, we can hold on to our sinful baggage. We can come to Jesus and say, hey, man, I'll get my fire insurance. I don't have to go to hell. So, you know what? Hey, I'm good to go. Hey, I'm free in Christ. I have liberty in Christ. So, guess what? I can do what I want. You see, we live continually in our sin. Because it's easy because we can continue to indulge in our sinful appetites and associations. That's why sometimes when people come to Jesus, they don't, nothing changes in their life. They just continue on. They just continue on doing the same old thing over and over and over again. They go to the same places with the same people doing the same things that God told them not to do. Matthew 16, 24 says, it says, if any man or woman, you can put woman there, okay? Any man or any woman who comes after me must first deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. You know, we know that, it, all right, I'm going to put you all to the test. Tell me what the catchphrase is for, who, which company this is for. Melts in your mouth, not in your hand. M&M's, all right, y'all doing good, all right, one for one. All right, there's only two questions, so if you get this one, you fail completely because that's 50%. You're in good hands with 
Good job. I was waiting for somebody to say State Farm. But anyway, right, you're in good hands with Allstate. That's the catchphrase, okay? That's, we remember those things because we see it constantly put before us. Well, you know what Jesus' catchphrase is? Come suffer and die. I don't really like that. That ain't no fun. Come suffer and die. But that's what it is. Denying of yourself. Take up the cross. The cross was a place of suffering and shame and death. But the idea is that we're dying to self. And we're willing to live for Him, even if that means suffering. And it will mean suffering. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to suffer. If you don't ever suffer for Jesus, you're not living for Jesus. That's just a simple, that, 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 that's, that's just a cut and dry 100% truth there. I actually had a guy that started a church in the Santee area where I was pastoring. And I've shared this with some, but I don't know if I've ever shared it from up here in the pulpit, but but this is what he was teaching his church. He says, we have freedom in Christ. We have liberty. Brethren, you've been called to liberty. But do not use liberty as a means for the flesh. Or da, 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 da. He was teaching that, but he didn't even listen to what he was even saying. Because this is what he said. He said, uh, he said listen. He said, husband and wife. You know, after years of marriage, sometimes the, the flame just gets dull. Sometimes you need a little bit of spice in your marriage. He said, you know what? Turn on a pornographic movie. And what some of you did was the same thing I did. I went, what? My mouth dropped. Who in the world would tell people to look at that filth to spice up their marriage? What did, what did Jesus say? He said, if you look upon a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. If you're looking at something like that, you're not going to be thinking about your spouse. You're going to be thinking about what you're watching, and it's not good. It's evil. It's wicked. But there are people out there who teach these things that, hey, you're under God's grace, so go ahead and live any way you want because you're going to heaven. In the book of John, chapter 6, it says these words. And you'll find them up there on the, on the screen. This is a little bit lengthy, but not, not too long. But, but, um, but we're going to start there in verse 53. It says, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is the food indeed, and my blood is the drink indeed. And he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Whew. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then, if you should see the Son of Man ascended where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless he has been granted to him unless it has been granted to him by my father for that time or from that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more 
Now here are some great words here. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you and the twelve? And one of you is the devil. He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. Jesus made it clear at that time. He said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now for them, some were like, man, that's just kind of messed up. Well, this is cannibalism. But Jesus made it clear to the disciples that this is of the Spirit. What he was talking about was, 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 was partaking of Jesus Christ completely, surrendering all of yourself to, uh, that you know of yourself to everything that you know of him and in living in complete submission to him. It means giving yourself completely over to the will of the Son of God who does the will of the Father. And so... There is a cost to being a follower of Jesus Christ. And I love what Peter's words were. And they ring out in my heart. He said, where would we go? You have the words of life. Somebody asked me that one time. I said, what if you found out tomorrow that, that God wasn't real, that Jesus never died, that everything you've been living for for the last 31 years is false and not true? And I looked at him and I said, what do you mean? There's no way. Because I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him until that day, the day of Jesus Christ. I am born again because Jesus Christ changed my life. The Holy Spirit came in and indwelled me. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. I've never been the same person. But it was not an easy thing to do. You see, the broad way is much like a funnel. It's easy to go into the wide end. But as you walk along, it gets even more narrow until it leads to death and hell. But you see, if you can enter by the narrow end, then life gets wider and better every day. You see, Jesus made it clear that He is the way, the truth, and the life. All, uh, that no one comes to the Father but by Him. You know, I, I tell people it's not Buddhism, it's not Hinduism, it's not Islam, it's not, it's not Mormonism, it's none of these things will get you to heaven. Some people say, well, all roads lead to heaven. No, only one road leads to heaven. I tell the ladies at Grace Home and Hannah House, it's not like Alcoholics Anonymous AA. It's not a 12-step program, it's a one-step program. You step into Jesus and you never look back. God's way is better for you. But it is a difficult way because we have to deny our flesh. But let me tell you something, folks. God, Jesus in these words told us that hell is going to be more full than heaven will be. Because he said, broad is the way that leads to destruction and many that go. He says, narrow and difficult is the way that leads to life and few. That scares me half to death. Heaven's big enough for everybody who's ever lived to live there. But unfortunately, it will be more empty and hell will be more full. There's a church not too far from where I live. I don't know if they still do this, but years ago, they would have people stand up at the end of their service, and they would say, pull out your bulletin on the back. It had the sinner's prayer. It say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I know you died for my sin. Come into my heart and save me. Thank you for saving me, Lord Jesus. And after they would read that and say that together, the pastor would say, and said, whoever said that, you're born again. I'm like, no. No, 
That is not the gospel. Yes, all those things are are right. We are sinners. Yes, Jesus died for our sins. Yes, we're to receive the gift of salvation, but only when the Spirit is drawing you. It's not by saying a prayer that we're saved. It's by a powerful moving of God's Holy Spirit as He opens up our darkness and shows us our need. You see, the first question to you is simply this this morning. Did your profession of faith in Christ cost you anything? If it didn't, you didn't get it. Because it costs. Number two, we see the two trees, verses 15 through 25. You see, here we see the evidence of true salvation. You know, not only is there a cost, and we have to pay that cost of denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Him, but there is also... There is also evidence that it has happened in our life. You see, everything in nature reproduces after its kind. The same is true in the spiritual realm. Okay? Disciples beget disciples, right? That means that disciples make more disciples, and it's reproductive. That's the way it is in the spiritual realm, just, just, realm, just as it is in the natural realm. And in the, these, these verses, I'm not going to read them again, but he says good trees produce good fruit, and bad trees produce bad fruit. He talks about the false prophets. Folks, there are false prophets. Be careful who you listen to. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. This is free of charge, okay? Study the Word of God. We talked about this last week. Study the Word so that you'll know that the one who's in the pulpit is preaching the Word. Test him. Test him by the Word of God. But understand this. There are many in the church today who are false prophets. And I'm going to tell you, that man at that church that was saying that, say this sinner's prayer and you'll be saved is a false prophet. Because he was leading people to trust in a prayer and not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and putting their faith in him. You see, as we draw closer to these individuals, we will begin to see that their fruit is false and and it will not last. They love to magnify themselves and not the Lord Jesus Christ. They exploit others instead of edifying others. And there is no evidence of the changed life. So here's the question. What is the evidence of a changed life? All right, you're talking about salvation. You're talking about being transformed. Well, what does that mean? What does it look like in someone's life who's been transformed by the Holy Spirit who has come to indwell them? Well, first of all, there's a change of direction. There's a change of direction. The Bible calls this repentance. Repentance means I'm going this way, and then I turn and go the other way. I repent of where I was going, and I go a new way. In the Bible salvation before that i'm walking in the way of the world ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 says and you he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins who you once walked according to the course of this world according to the lust of the flesh according to the principality of the air he talked about how we walked according to satan in his way and we were evil and we were wicked and we were wrong but when we came to that moment in our life where the holy spirit opened our eyes to our darkness and our sin we made a choice to turn and say, God, I reject that now, and I turn to you and put my trust in you, and now I will walk in your ways. That's one of the first evidences is that you quit walking the way you were going, but if you continue walking in sin and you don't turn around, you didn't get it. My pastor used to say this is when I was younger, and I love it, and I love to, to use it. If your salvation didn't change you, you better change your salvation. Because who Jesus saves, Jesus changes. 
Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, right up here. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Case closed. Should you continue in sin? No. No. God's grace... His resurrection power, because we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Remember, we were dead. It was Christ's power, the same power that rose him from the dead. Paul said it's the same power that raises us from the dead. And it brings us into a new life. And we are different people. We're not the same people. Trust me, if you saw a dead body come up out of the grave, you'd be like, whoa. Well, the same thing happens when a person is truly born again. They come from death to life. From darkness into light. And we turn from sin and we turn to the master. But it makes me sick to my stomach when I hear Christians sometimes say, well, I can continue to live in what I've been doing. And sometimes they don't say it with their mouth, but they do it with the way that they walk and talk and live. They continue in the same old lifestyle. But if we are in Christ, grace is not a motivation to continue in sin. It's a motivation to be holy. He said, be ye holy, for I am holy. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Y'all know this, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now, in the beginning of that, how did it start out? But the what? Fruit of the Spirit. Okay. I want you to hear that, okay? Because I want you to focus on that. Don't, don't just read through God's Word quickly. You need to understand something. The fruit of the Spirit. You know what that means? That the fruit that indwells the Christian believer does not come from the Christian believer. It comes from the Spirit. We cannot produce those things in our life. It is the Spirit of God who produces them automatically in our life. So let me, let me just say this to you, uh, dear believer. If you've truly been born again, then those fruits are automatically in you. They, they, they're there. Because they come from the Spirit. And if the Spirit is what indwells us, because the Bible even says that, that the Spirit was given to us as an earnest and guarantee of the future possession. In other words, God gives us the Holy Spirit as a way of saying, I will complete your salvation. He who began a good work in me will complete it. But if the Spirit was within you, you're automatically going to have love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, kindness, long-suffering. All those things will be inside of you and be living out through you. Now, we can suppress them through sin and through just deliberate disobedience. But they're there. They automatically come in. You can't deny them. Because if the Spirit's within you, they're there. But many times, I don't see that. Second of all, not only a change of direction but a change of desire. And this is more from a, uh, I mean, it's biblical, but it's, it's also from a personal testimony. After I got saved at 18 years old, when God came into my life and, and transformed my life, one of the, these, these, these desires were in my life. First of all, God's Word. I fell in love with this book, and it began to make sense. 
No, I didn't understand everything right off the bat, but as I studied it, the Spirit began to open my mind and heart to the truths of God's Word. It wasn't something that somebody taught me. The Spirit began to teach me and began to apply those things into my life. But I had a hunger for God's Word. Fill my cup, Lord. Overflowing. Give me a hungering and a thirsting. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's what it means when you're saved. You're going to get hungry for the Word of God. You're going to start to pray. You're going to want to spend time with the Lord. Listen, when I got married to my wife, the most exciting thing to me was I was going to get to spend time with her. All my time with her. God bless her for doing that and committing to that. But I got to spend time with her. I wanted to spend time with her. I wanted to get to know her in every way that I could. Why? Because I had a relationship with her, a personal, intimate relationship. The same goes with Jesus Christ. You're going to want to spend time in His Word and in prayer. Also, we desire to see the lost saved. One of my favorite old-time pastors was Charles Spurgeon. And Charles Spurgeon said this, and it's a 100% true, I believe, one, no doubt about it. This is, this is probably one of the most accurate statements that he ever made. He says, if you claim to be a born-again Christian and you have no desire to see the lost saved, you're not saved. And I believe that because the heartbeat of God is missions. God left us here to carry the message of the cross to those who would need to hear it. Listen, the people that you live around, the people that you engage on a daily basis, you are responsible to share the gospel with them. Not only through your life, but through your lips. We are to share the message of the cross with those we come in contact with. God will open up doors for us to invest in people's lives, but we need to have a hunger and a passion to see people saved. How can anybody call themselves a Christian and say, say, it doesn't, it's just not my responsibility to lead people to Jesus? That's just not my thing. Well, if it's not your thing, then you don't have Jesus Christ in your life. Because every believer is a missionary. How many people have you shared your faith with? How many people have you shared your faith and God let you watch them come into eternal life? I'm going to tell you, there's no greater joy than when you're sitting down sharing the gospel with somebody and the Holy Spirit just gets on them and they get all messed up. And they begin to cry out to a holy God for forgiveness. And right there, you can just sit and watch as the Holy Spirit brings a dead person to life. There is no greater joy in the Christian journey. I'm going to tell you, I love it. When God gives me the opportunity to be a part of a harvest, to see somebody saved. Don't get me wrong, it's an honor just to cast out the seeds. But boy, when God gives me the opportunity to pick the fruit right off the tree, whoo, glory to God, that's awesome. I'm going to tell you right now, the only thing that was better than that was marrying my wife. The only thing that was better than that was the birth of my children. And the only other thing better than that was Georgia Bulldogs winning the national championship against Alabama last year. <laughs> but listen, the first church I pastored, I told people, you know, we, we had somebody get saved in our service one Sunday, and they were like, oh, amen. I'm like, what? Somebody just got saved. A life was just transformed. I was like, touchdown. And the funny thing was, after that, when we had people get saved in our church, our people would just say, Touchdown! Why? Because we'll sit at a football game out in the freezing cold and cheer our team on to win, but we won't get off our lazy tushes to get out and talk to our neighbor and say, Do you know Jesus Christ? 
If you have no desire to do that, you've got no Jesus. The true evidence of a person who's been saved is they care about the lost. You know what? Another thing. We desire to be with God's people. <gasps> yes. You're going to have a desire to be at this church. Not so you can mark it on your post. Well, I did my duty for Jesus this week. If that's your mentality, I'd be start checking my heart to see where I stand spiritually before the Lord. I love coming to church. You know what? One of the it's, it's a blessing and a curse. But you know what? One of the blessings of my life is because I'm on staff here and y'all y'all have me on full time. I get to come to church almost every day. I love it. The curse of it is. I don't get to engage lost people like I used to when I was in the secular world. I enjoyed that when I was working in the secular world because I got to engage lost people more. Now I have to be very intentional about going and being with them. That's why I love going on this trip to Baltimore because we get to go knocking on doors and just talk to people. But you know what? I can do that right where I live. You see, I'm going to desire to be with God's people. There's no greater joy than coming into this house. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. Some of you are missing out. And I'm not saying this because I'm trying to make you do something out of legalistic rules. But on Sunday night and Wednesday nights, we're meeting here and we're praying together as a, as a body of believers. I can't see anything better to do than to come together with God's people and pray. Like I said, I know that some people, they can't come back out. That's all right. But if you're sitting at home watching TV, Why? If you're having a cookout, why? Be here with God's people and be with God. Listen, even more as you see the day approaching, uh, the, one of the desires that changed with me, my parents, I used to joke and said I had a drug problem. They drug me to church every week. But you know what? After I got saved at 18 years old, my parents didn't have to convince me to come to church. I wanted to be there. Because that's where my family was. That's where God's people were. That's where I could find encouragement and edification. It's where I built those relationships. God created us to be relational. And you know what? God loves people. You know what it simply means? When you're truly born again, you're going to, be, you're going to begin to love the things that Jesus loves. And you know what? He loves His church. But you know what? Most importantly, one of the things that I found in my life was this. I did not tolerate sin in my life. I did not tolerate it. Or at least the desire for that changed. Trust me, there were times I did tolerate it because I was just deliberately disobedient, but I was unhappy. You see, the Holy Spirit will not let us be happy in sin. Oh, the act of sin itself, we may find some pleasure in it, but I'm going to tell you something. If you're a born-again believer, before you even go into that temptation, the Holy Spirit is standing there saying, Stop. Don't go. Don't do this. Don't do it. And it's not conscience. We're not talking about, well, this is right or wrong. We're talking, stop. Don't do it. It's like if I'm standing on you, having my hands on your shoulder saying, Do not do this. Danger ahead. And then we have to be like that little three-year-old. Don't you touch that. We'll push the Holy Spirit's hands off of us and we'll walk around and do exactly what we want to do. And you know what happens at the end of that for a believer? Complete and total brokenness. Not, well, I probably shouldn't have done that. No, it's, oh, God, why did I do it? Lord, you even told me not to do it, but I did it anyway, God. Why am I so sinful? I hate my sin. I abhor it. 
That's the evidence of true salvation is the Holy Spirit will break you when you sin against God. And you'll begin to hate your sin. The Bible says like a dog returns to vomit. You ever, not to be gross, but you know what the taste of vomit is in your mouth. It's the most disgusting thing in the world. After you're done doing your business in the toilet, you know, the only thing sweeter than cleaning your mouth out is putting your head on the side of that cool toilet bowl. It's like, oh, which is disgusting when you think about it. Because you put your face where it was not designed to go. But understand this, believer. Our sin, spiritually, should have a taste of vomit in our spiritual mouth. It should be disgusting to us. We should hate our sin. Not indulge in it. Not love it. Not, a, not, a, not grab on to it. As we continue on, very quickly here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. These are probably the most horrendous and horrific verses in all of Scripture. There are many who will stand before God and even call Him Lord, but they are not of the true faith. Oh, they know the Bible verses. They know the Christian vocabulary. One, and they can even sing every song in the hymn book by heart, but their faith is false and there is not true evidence of a changed life. Let me tell you something, folks. Words do not substitute for obedience. Kyle Eidelman in his book, uh, Not a Fan, said this, Good intentions do not make up for an apathetic attitude. I said, ooh, amen to that. We can have all the good intentions in the world, but if we don't do them, that doesn't justify us. Oh, I can say, oh, I need to go share Jesus with people, but if I don't go share Jesus with people, I'm wrong. Remember Jesus telling that, that story about the two sons? He says, one son... He told his son, he said, go and do this. He said, no, Father, I'm not going to do it. And then he went to his other son, and his son said, yes, Father, I'll do it. Well, the one that said yes did not do it, but the one who told him no got convicted and went and did what his father asked him to do. He said, now, which one did the will of his father? The first one. Because he actually did the work. A lot of Christians like to speak the words, but they don't like to do the action. True salvation brings, a for, brings forth action in your life. You'll begin to live for the Lord and do the will of God. Have you counted the cost and are you willing to be a follower of Jesus instead of a fan? The difference is a fan is just fair weather. But a follower says, I'm willing to commit everything and all that I have to him. A true believer will do the will of the Father. His heartbeat is to do everything that God has commanded. Not just a few things. And here we see and they trusted in their own words. They said, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many wondrous works in your name? And God says, depart from me, you work of iniquity. I never knew you. Folks, there are people that are sitting in the church today that are going to stand before God one day, and he's going to say, depart from me, you work of iniquity. I never knew you. Oh, they've been in church their whole life. They served in the nursery. They gave the tithes. No, they served on the committees. They were in Sunday school every week. But folks, none of that gets you into heaven. Only a personal, intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ will get you into heaven. Being a Baptist ain't going to get you nothing. Or any other denomination. Do you know Jesus this morning? Did your salvation change you? That's your second ev evidence. But so many are trusting in a sinner's prayer, walking an aisle, getting baptized, going to church, and so forth. But they're not trusting in Jesus. And lastly, the two foundations. He speaks about two homes here. This is about the obedience to the Word of God. James 2, 14 through 18. Very quickly, let's read these. 
Why does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So in other words... What James is saying here, now Martin Luther, when he first, when he read this, they said he ripped it out of the Bible because he thought James was saying that salvation was based upon works. No, what James was saying is your salvation will be evidenced by works. If Jesus Christ is in your life, the Holy Spirit has indwelt you, guess what? You're automatically going to begin to work for the Lord. You're going to be able to, you're going to start to do the things that God has asked you to do. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is going to make you do them. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. You know what? Sometimes he has to make us lay down. But you know what? The Holy Spirit, we give the deed and title to our life over to him, and we begin to work. But you see, our foundation is not based upon our works, though. Our foundation is based upon Jesus Christ. You see, when you look at these two houses, both of them look the same on the outside. But the difference was their foundation. What sets them apart is how they stand when the trials and difficulties come into their lives. You see, a false profession will only last until judgment comes. And that's usually in the form of trials. You see, many have professed faith in Christ only to deny Him when life becomes spiritually costly and difficult. But listen, the Christian life, that's what it is, is difficulty. I don't know who painted this rosy red picture that, 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 that Jesus coming to Jesus is lollipops and rainbows all the time. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. That's not a very lovely picture. It costs to follow Jesus Christ. Yes, it costs you your own will and your own flesh, but it is worth it. You see, religious activities and church organizations are no assurance of eternal security. Will your faith stand in the final judgment? If you can't be obedient to his word, you will not be able to stand before him at the last judgment. And the thing is, we can't be obedient unless we have the Spirit of God living within us. I've got two more verses for you, and then I'm, I'm definitely done. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 For our gospel did not come to you in word only. I want you to listen to this verse very carefully. For our gospel, what gospel? The gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace of Jesus Christ which saves us, did not come to you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance. As you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Four things here that salvation has. First of all, it does have words, but it's not words only. It's not just by saying a sinner's prayer. But we know that from the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. The Scriptures teach that. So we have to confess the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's another part to it, power. That word power is the word deutimus, which means dynamite, where we get that word dynamite. It's miraculous power. It's explosive power. Okay? It's a mighty miracle-working power. Folks, when you come to Jesus, it's not just some simple little thing. It's a mighty moving of God's Holy Spirit bringing a dead person to life. And that's the third part. The Holy Spirit is involved. No man can come to the Father unless the Father, what? Draws him. How does he draw us? By the Holy Spirit. Read Matthew chapter 6. That'll tell you exactly how it looks. Isaiah saw God in his greatness and then saw his wickedness and fell on his face and said, Oh, judgment upon me. 
destroy me, God. I'm not worthy of your love. And then God, in his grace, touched Isaiah on the lips of his mouth and purged him of his iniquity and sin. And then he said, he even confessed, God even said that your sin has been forgiven. And Isaiah, God says, who will go for me? And Isaiah's like, for what you did for me, here I am, God. Here I am. Send me. You see, when the Holy Spirit does something in your life, it's going to change you. It's a powerful moving of God's assurance, and, 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 uh, of God's Spirit. And then lastly there in that verse, much assurance. Much assurance. You know what? That means I'm going to know I had an encounter with God. I'm going to know that God has done something in my life. Listen, I don't, I didn't, when I came to Jesus Christ, when I walked away from that, I didn't walk away wondering if I were saved or not. God did something so powerful in my life, I couldn't deny it. Exodus 34, 29 and 30. Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So when Aaron and all of the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. Folks, Moses had an encounter with God. On the mountain... He didn't get to see God because God said it would kill him, but he got to see the afterglory of God. But, but to be in God's presence and to have God be that close to Moses, it literally changed the countenance of his face. The light shone. There was a young lady by the name of Paula at Grace Home. I shared the gospel one Friday morning, and she called me into the office and said, can I talk to you afterwards? And I said, sure. And she got in there, and she got bold, and she was almost angry at me. She said, how dare you tell me I'm to surrender to God? I said, what salvation is. You surrender all of yourself to Him. You can't have control anymore. He takes control. Well, my mother raised me that no one will do anything for me, that I do everything for myself, that I'm the only one that can take care of myself. I'm the captain of my fate. And I just looked at her, and I wasn't mean or cruel, but I just said, sweetheart, look what your control got you. You're sitting in a rehab center because you couldn't control your life. Your addiction controlled you. And the Holy Spirit just nailed her in that moment. It wasn't Kent Wilson. It was the Holy Spirit. And she began to weep. And I said, sweetheart, God is drawing you. And as soon as I said drawing you, she just, oh, God, I'm a sinner. I mean, she just cried out to God. She started confessing her sin. I'm not going to lie. I kind of went, ooh, I don't think I need to hear some of this. But she began to confess her sin before God. And then all of a sudden, when she was done praying, and I was praying, I was weeping just thanking God that I got to sit here and watch this awesome transformation happen. She looked up at me, and folks, this lady was like 40-something years old. She had looked like she was in her late 80s because the, 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 the drugs and the addiction had just wrinkled her face up and just the pain and the shame of it. When she looked up at me, it was almost like she was 20 years younger. And she looked at me, and she said, I'm free. I'm finally free. Oh, folks, whoo, God pimples. He transformed her life, and I got to watch it. And in the weeks ahead, the ladies there said, man, God has done something in Paula's life. I said, glory be to God. Let me ask you something. How many of you are trusting a past experience that happened in a church? Or maybe you said a prayer, walked an aisle, and got baptized, but there's never been a change in your life. You see, the hardest part for a lot of people who grew up in a Christian home like it was for me, Christianity becomes your culture. 
It's something you do because it's what you've always known. But you know what? At 18 years old, I can tell you that that culture changed because it became a reality. When Jesus Christ found me that night and His Holy Spirit opened my eyes to my darkness and my religion, He changed me from the inside out. And for 31 years, I've never been the same person that I once was. Profanity flew out of my mouth before I was saved. I mean, I, that was, uh, English was my second language. Profanity was number one. God cleaned my mouth up. I had addictions in my life that were tearing me apart, and God broke every chain. Amazing grace, my chains are gone. And I began to walk in freedom, and I began to walk in newness of life. I fell in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. I fell in love with his church. As I said before, folks, I don't care what your past experience is, as long as your present reality is, yes, I know Jesus. I know him personally. I talk to him every day, and I know his voice. Folks, God could stand before me right now, and I would know it's him, and I've never seen him. He could open his mouth and speak, and I've never heard his voice audibly, but I would know it's him. Why? Because he lives in my life. Please, church, I don't know where you're at, but quit holding on to a false assurance. If you died today, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know that I'm going to heaven. Not because I've convinced myself of that, but because it's an inner Holy Spirit just raging out within me. Yes, I know I'm going to heaven because I am a child of the living God. If you can't say yes to that, you need a transformation. I'm just telling you what the Scriptures say. Much assurance, you're going to know. Your life is going to be evidence. But there are a lot of people who are sitting in the pews every Sunday that if the Lord came back today, they'd be sitting here wondering what happened. There are people who have died and stood before God and found out that everything that they had put their belief and trust in was the wrong thing. They put it in a church and not the Christ. Where are you at this morning, dear Christian? Do you know that you know that you're born again? It's not a hope so, think so, maybe so salvation. It's a no so salvation. You're going to know if God has changed your life. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray this morning.